prayer of invocation, inviting the Holy Spirit into this time and place, inviting God into our lives in this moment. Let us pray. Lord God, we ask that you send your Spirit upon us now. That you fill our hearts and minds with an openness that will truly hear your word. Truly uh, hear your call, hear your voice in this place, in this night. Help us be open to wherever you are calling us. Help us uh, understand and hear maybe for the first time the promises you have laid in our lives. Help us be transformed by this experience as as we go into our week we may help transform others. We pray this in your holy name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, I would like to welcome you once again to New Life and to the second part of our worship experience, the forming time where we delve into the Word of God. I am Mark Myers, the pastor here at New Life. I also want to welcome all of those joining us on our podcast and online throughout the week. That community is always in, uh, with us in spirit, and we thank you for your commitment to new life. Tonight we continue our series, Circle Maker, praying circles around your biggest dreams and greatest nightmares. Now I felt pretty foolish asking God for career advice. I was a junior in college and unsure where my life was headed. I had probably taken courses in 16 or so different fields of study, as many liberal arts students do. But I asked God to guide where I would go. I felt foolish talking to friends who kind of had their past set out in front of them. I felt foolish sitting down with uh, my college advisors who were asking, well, what do you want to do when you grow up next year? It's a little different when you're eight as opposed to 20. And I thought maybe the response, well, I'm praying that God will help me figure this one out, might be a little awkward in that psychological building. Before that first raindrop fell, a little over 2,000 years ago, Honey the circle maker probably felt a little foolish. Standing inside a circle, demanding that rain come from the sky is a pretty risky proposition. Vowing that you won't leave that circle until the rain comes is even riskier. Now, Honey, as we talked about last week, he didn't draw a semicircle. He drew an entire circle. He closed himself in that circle. There was no escape. There was no way out. The only way Honey could leave that circle, in his words, was if God was going to send rain. Now, drawing prayer circles often looks like an exercise in foolishness. But that's what faith is all about. Faith is the willingness to look foolish. Noah looked foolish when he built a fairly large boat on dry land. In the middle of a desert, in fact. The Israelite army looked foolish as they walked around the walled city of Jericho seven times. Just blowing trumpets. A small shepherd boy named David looked foolish charging a giant named Goliath with a sling and a few stones. Peter, the disciple, 
He looked foolish stepping out of a boat in the sea to head towards Jesus. The wise men looked foolish tracking a star to Timbuktu. But the results speak for themselves. Noah was saved from the flood. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down. David defeated the giant Goliath. The wise men discovered the Messiah. Peter walked on water. And our Lord Jesus Christ, who looked foolish in a crown of thorns hanging from a cross, rose again and is the King of Kings. Now, foolishness is a feeling that a young man named Moses was very familiar with. He felt very foolish going before the king of Egypt and demanding that that king set a million slaves free. He felt foolish raising his staff over his hand in the Red Sea and expecting those waters to part. He most certainly felt foolish in the desert, in the middle of nowhere, in front of a council of elders, telling them that they would have meat to feed the entire nation. But his willingness to look foolish resulted in epic miracles. Miracles that have been recorded in Scripture. Miracles that have been celebrated throughout history. The Exodus. The plagues. The parting of the Red Sea. And the miracle we're going to talk tonight. The quail miracle. In order to experience that kind of miracle, God's divine intervention, you have to to take a risk. And one of the most difficult types of risks to take is risking your own reputation, looking foolish in front of other people. Honey already had a reputation. I'm not sure if I made that clear last week. He already had a reputation as a rainmaker. He was already someone who has, was known for his rainmaking skill. But he put his reputation on the line to pray for rain one more time in the greatest drought the people had seen in centuries. The greatest chapters in history always begin with a risk. And I think it's true in the same way in our lives. The greatest chapters of your life always begin with a risk. And if you're unwilling to risk your reputation, you'll never build a boat like Noah, and you'll never get out of a boat Like Peter, you cannot build God's reputation and glorify God if you're not willing to put your own reputation on the line. There comes a moment when each of us is called to make a move. Circle makers are risk takers. Moses learned this very lesson. If you don't take a risk, you forfeit the miracle. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up to Numbers chapter 11. We're just going to be reading... Uh, a little all over the place here in Numbers chapter 11. Numbers is in the Old Testament or Hebrew Scriptures, right? In the beginning, it's one of the first five books. And it's the one we don't like to read because it's got a lot of numbers. It's a lot of counting and who begat who. But Numbers also has some of the greatest miracle stories in it. So here are these words from uh, the, the early parts. I think verse 4 is where we're starting. Then we're going to skip ahead a little bit as I read. Moses is in the desert with the tribes of Israel. They've been in the desert for a while and some great things have happened. But, as the people are like to do in this story, 
some complaining started to occur. Hear what the Scripture says. The riffraff among them had a strong craving. Even the Israelites cried out and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we ate in Egypt for free. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Now our lives are wasting away. There's nothing but manna to eat in front of us. Now manna was like coriander, and its color was like resin. The people would roam around and collect it and grind it with millstones or pound it in a mortar. They would then boil it in pots and make it into cakes. It tasted like cakes baked in olive oil. When the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna would fall with it. To the people you will say, and this is the Lord speaking to Moses, skipping ahead a little bit, make yourself holy for tomorrow. Then you will eat meat. For you've cried in the Lord's hearing, who will give us meat to eat? It was far better for us in Egypt. The Lord will give you meat, and you will eat. You won't eat for just one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but you will eat for a whole month, for until it comes out of your nostrils and it nauseates you. You rejected the Lord who's been with you, and you've cried before Him saying, Why did we leave Egypt? Moses said to God, The people I'm with are 600,000 on foot, and he's talking about just the men. And you're saying, I'm going to give them meat to eat? And for an entire month, if all the flocks and herds to be found were slaughtered, would that be enough? Or if all the fish in the sea were found and caught, would that be enough? The Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's power too weak? Now you will see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the Lord's word. Uh, You may not know this story. This is a great story. Numbers has great stories interspersed in in numbers between numbers i should say and this is one of these awesome stories after 400 years of slavery 400 years we talked about 400 years the people last week had gone before hearing the word of god when jesus came when honey was praying but in this part of the story much earlier 400 years the people had been enslaved in egypt And God sent Moses because the people were crying out, save us, free us. And Moses came, and in one of the greatest shows of all history, Moses and Yahweh fought against Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods, and Moses won, and Yahweh won. And the Israelites left that land of Egypt through the Red Sea. They followed a pillar of cloud, In the day, they followed a pillar of fire in the night. And when they were out in the desert and they said, Lord, how will we find food in this place? God said to them, Moses, hit that rock and you'll have water. And they said, Lord, we're so hungry. We had bread in Egypt. And he said, I will make manna fall from heaven every day. And you'll have plenty to eat. And that happened. These Israelites were living miracles every single day, but they began to complain. And they said, you know, it's been great, all of this manna, but how about some meat, too, while we're at it? They said, why did we leave Egypt? We remember we had fish there, and we had cucumbers and melons and leeks and garlic, and 
you know, slavery. They forgot that part. The hard times are the things that we tend to forget. Now our appetites are gone, and day after day we have nothing to eat but manna. The irony in this passage is so apparent because they are complaining about one miracle, asking for another. God is literally sending bread to them every single day, and they're complaining about that miracle. Their capacity for complaining was legendary. But we have to remember that we too tend to take for granted those daily miracles, those things we see every day, those offerings of manna that God provides. Now, despite their incessant complaining, God somewhat patiently, I'll let you read it and decide how patient God was, responds to their food tantrum with one of the most unfathomable promises in Scripture, meat for a million people for a month. Uh, You know, we don't know how many people exactly, but 600 men plus their families and all that. At least a million people, you would assume. Moses says, even if we killed all of the animals, even if we went to the sea and collected all of the fish, would there literally be enough? Would there possibly be enough? Moses is trying to do the math in his head and it's not adding up. The math isn't working out. How on earth are we going to have meat for all these people for an entire month? And God is saying, you go tell the people that this is what's going to happen. He's trying to think of any conceivable way, any scenario. He can't see how God can make this miracle happen. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been called... Have you ever been put in a situation, asked to preach two weeks in a row? And ask God, you know, how is this going to happen? Have you ever been called to take a job that paid less or called to go on a mission trip when there's no money in the bank? Have you ever been put into any situation where you ask God, how is this going to happen? How are we going to do this? January 2010, five months before our wedding, I received a phone call from my boss, or district superintendent, if you know the terminology, asking me to leave the congregation in Maple Park and come to the congregation in Roscoe. Now, Jennifer and I were were literally on the precipice of our marriage. I was still going through the process of ordination, a rather difficult process. We had a house, and still do, in Maple Park. We had a renewed energy in that church, and that little church that was talking about closing its doors when I got there had gone from a student appointment to a full-time appointment. We felt there was still work to do there. We were close to my family. We literally lived in the same town as Jennifer's family. We had just emptied our entire savings account, and some of our pension to pay cash for our wedding so we wouldn't go into debt over that. Jennifer had a job she loved, people she loved working with, and she made quite a bit of money doing it. The math didn't add up, and I ran it several times. I love a good spreadsheet. The math didn't 
add up. But it was clear to us God was calling to us and calling us to this new opportunity, to this new appointment. Now, the predicament that Moses found himself in, that we found ourselves in, and I think that many of us find ourselves in, should remind us of another food miracle that happened 1,500 years later. In a small town in Judea, out into the wilderness when Jesus was trying to get away just for a a little bit of respite, a little Sabbath time, a little prayer time. And he crossed the sea and there was a whole crowd of people. And the Bible says he was compassionate for them. And he taught them and he healed them. And at the end of the day, he said, how are we going to feed all these people? And the disciples said, send them away. Jesus said, no. We'll find a way to feed these people. And a young boy came forward and he had five loaves and two fish. And there were how many people at this particular one? 5,000. So Andrew, uh, young Andrew, uh, Peter's brother, was doing the math in his head. And so Andrew's, okay, five plus two doesn't equal 5,000. But this isn't about our math. If you add God to the equation, 5 plus 2 doesn't equal 7. 5 plus 2 equaled 5,000. Because when those loaves were broken and when that fish was distributed, it fed the entire community in one of those wonderful feeding miracles. And not only that, there was food left over 12 baskets of food. So the equation more fittingly looks 5 plus 2 equals 5,000 remainder 12. That's God mathematics. That's how God's economy works. Very different from ours. So if you put what little you have in your hands, in the hands of God, it won't add up. But God will do amazing things with it. It will multiply. So let's continue in Numbers, the rest of the story. I'm not even sure where, like 20-something. Moses and the elders were assembled in the camp. And a wind from the Lord blew up and brought quails from the sea. It let them fall by the camp about a day's journey in every direction and three feet off the ground. That's gross, my wife said. It is quite gross. If you've ever been to Venice and seen the pigeons, because those pictures they show you on TV are are not correct, there's literally about three feet of pigeons everywhere you go in Venice. And this was three feet in quite a while. So the people rose, they gathered the quail that day and that night and all the next day. The least collected, that means the the least number of quails collected per person was 10 homers. And they laid them out around the camp. Now the Israelites were parked, uh, you know, they were wandering nomadic people. They were parked in the wilderness of Paran, a region 50 miles inland from the Mediterranean Sea and 50 miles southwest of the Dead Sea. 
Now, why is that important? Because quail live by water. And they don't fly very far, if you've ever met one. If it weren't for a supernatural west wind, those quail would have never been able to make the journey. So this is a meteorological miracle. But the miracle isn't just in the wind. The clouds burst and it rained quail from the sky, which is gross. Based on the Hebrew system of measurement, though, a day's travel was 15 miles in any direction. So if you do the math, you square the radius multiplied by pi, right? Yeah, okay, so we're all in the right point here. We all took geometry. We're talking about 700 square miles of quail. That's three times the size of the city of Chicago. Three feet deep. If you count using their system, it's roughly 1. or no, yeah, 105, one excuse me, 105 million quail. So they started gathering 10 homers multiplied by 600,000 men, 6 million homers. Homer is about 200 liters, assuming the quail were of average size. It rained somewhere in the neighborhood of 105 quail. So God doesn't just provide some meat. God provides it in a dramatic, amazing fashion. 700 square miles, 3 feet deep, and 105 quail, Moses. What do you think about that? I'm guessing the people never asked for meat again. I won't read the end of the story because those people who were complaining, it didn't work out real well for them. So this this is not how we pray. This is the power of God. Moses could not have anticipated this kind of answer to a prayer, even a selfish, petty prayer like this. It was unprecedented, unpredictable, but Moses had the guts to circle the promise. He said, okay, let's do it. You say there's going to be meat. I have no idea how it's going to work out, but let's circle the promise. So the question we need to think about, is there a promise you need to circle? Is there a promise you need to circle for your marriage or your children, for your own life? Is there a promise for this stage of life, wherever that stage is? Is there a promise you need to circle for a fear? Or a sin? Or a dream? I may have felt foolish sitting in front of my college advisor, not knowing what to say about my future, and not knowing how to explain that I was just hoping God would figure this one out for me. But I circled that promise. And sure enough, when I was 20, God called me into the ministry and it was very clear. This is where I was headed. Jennifer and I were terrified, at least I was, of leaving Maple Park, leaving so many good things, leaving so many opportunities, although we were somewhat distracted by our upcoming wedding. But God made a way. We weren't sure how we were going to eat the first month because I was going six weeks without being paid.
Jennifer was driving over uh, 60, 70 miles from Rockford to Geneva three times a week. We literally didn't know how we were going to eat. But food showed up on our door. We didn't know if Jennifer would be able to find a job, but she did. We didn't know how we were going to be able to eat the $25,000 pay cut Jennifer took. But God has provided every step of the way. Now, if we hadn't taken that risk and lived through some difficult times, new life probably wouldn't exist. Certainly not in the way it does today. And if we wouldn't have taken that risk, and if Jennifer wouldn't have taken a job well below her pay grade, we wouldn't know our children. We would have never met them. So the promise becomes a reality, and God provides for us in ways we weren't even praying for. In extravagant ways. 105 quail type ways. Now before the quail storm appeared on the Dobbler radar, God asked Moses a very important question. And it's the question we have to ask ourselves if we're going forward in this type of extravagant prayer of petition. Your answer to this question will determine the size of your prayer circles. And the question is this, is there any limit to my power? Remember Moses said, how are you going to get meat for 600,000 men in the middle of the desert? And God said, is there any limit to my power? The simple answer is no. God is omnipotent. Which means by definition there is nothing God cannot do. God is all-powerful. Yet many of us pray as our problems are bigger than God. Like our fears are greater than God. Like our needs are greater than God. So let me remind you of this one and very important tool and lesson about God. God is infinitely bigger than your biggest dream. He is infinitely bigger than your greatest fear. And let me also say He is infinitely more merciful and has more grace than your greatest sin and your biggest disappointment. But in order to regain a godly perspective, we have to answer this question. And I'm not minimizing anyone's problems, anyone's challenges, anyone's life. But if you want to reclaim how God can interact in your life, you have to ask for yourself, are my problems bigger than God? Are my dreams bigger than God? Are my fears bigger than God? Our biggest problem, I think, in our world today is a very small view of God. We put God in a box and limit God's power, but that is the cause of many great lesser evils, limiting God's power. Because when we limit God's power, God's power is not allowed to reach into our communities and change people's lives and transform these communities and transform our world and end the kind of suffering that we see day to day. So it's a high view of God that we must have if we're going to continue to be people of prayer, people 
of Jesus Christ. So I hope you've answered that question. I hope you're thinking about it. Is there any limit to my power? There's only two options. Yes or no, in case you were wondering. And until you come to the conviction that God's grace and power knows no limits, you're going to continue to draw tiny prayer circles. But once you embrace the all-powerful nature of God, your prayers will be extravagant and risky and terrifying to you. How big is your God? Is your God big enough to heal a marriage? To heal your child? Is God bigger than a positive MRI or a negative evaluation? Or the loss of a job? Is God bigger than the sin you keep to yourself? Or the dreams that you're unwilling to share? When God gives a vision, He makes provision. We need courage now to step out when God is calling us. We don't cry out randomly for meat like the Israelites do, but when we know that God is making us a promise, when we know God is calling us into a new place in our lives, we need to circle that promise and pray for that promise and ask God to intervene time and time again. We have to believe that God can blow in a west wind that will bring 105 quail into our life. We need to do our part, and our part is taking a step of faith in pursuit of the dream God has put in our hearts. So I need you to ask yourself this week, what step of faith do I need to take? What decision do I need to make? On what promise do I need to put down a stake and claim for my own? And pray with God involved. So I want to remind you of the big dreams that we have for new life and the prayers that we've been praying. I encouraged you last week to start a process of 21 days of prayer. If you have started that process, continue to pray. If you have not start, there's no better time to start. And I ask you to circle these five prayers for new life. But I ask you to circle prayers for your family and your individual self. And if you don't know what those promises are, Pray that God will guide you to them, that God will help you understand, that God will challenge you to say, this is what I want for my beloved child. And God wants great and wonderful things for each of us. doesn't mean life will be easy. It doesn't mean things won't be hard. But it does mean that if we truly circle these promises, God can intervene and God can do amazing things. So I remind you of these five prayers as we transition now to the next part of our worship experience. Some are simple, some are more difficult. But each is something we cannot do without the help of God. Lord, help New Life be able to raise enough money to support its 2013 budget in full. Realize I did not ask God to give us more money than we knew what to do with. Lord, help us define what forwarding ministry we will join together in as a congregation in 2014. We're going to talk a lot more about that, but continue to pray for it. Lord, help us have a tangible impact on the parks in the Harlem School District this year, and people are already hearing ways that we may take a risk and step out and see God work in our community and in our school district. Lord, help us share your good news with every member of our neighborhood, this neighborhood system that we live in. 
Help us share the gospel. And Lord, help New Life be able to purchase this Hilltop Ministry Center and use it for God's glory in all that we do. We're going to be praying circles around some of these forever, as long as we exist. But I think some of them we're going to see some pretty cool things happen for. So I encourage you, pray. Jennifer and I have been working on the promises God has set in our lives and praying around those. I encourage you to do the same in your life, same for you personally, same for you as a family, and share with us a new life. Amen. As we transition now to the third part of our worship experience, the forwarding time, I encourage you to uh, continue to support our congregation in all that we do. We are uh, nearly up and running in terms of our financial independence. We uh, are getting all the the T's crossed and the dies added, and uh, hopefully our system for uh, financial uh, uh, workings, not in terms of the income, but in terms of how we use our money uh, and, and the ability we have to do that. Uh, that should be uh, up and running uh, just any day now, and we're pretty uh, pretty uh, solidified in that process. Uh, we have some really great people helping out with that, and I thank you all for your prayers for that. It's uh, taken um, quite some time, and, and uh, you know it's it's not been the funnest thing in ministry I've ever done. But uh, it's uh, wonderful that we have that independence now, and we can um, choose how to uh, use our resources uh, and choose how to direct our vision. Um, without um, outside uh, uh, external forces. Uh, so I continue uh, to support us, continue to uh, pray for how you might help us, continue to get uh, lists of people down that you can send a mailing, family and friends mailing to, uh, and we'll hopefully roll that out soon um, and uh, get that information to you uh, very soon. So let us now, as we transition, uh, enter in time of prayer, not a prayer of petition, but a prayer of intercession for those uh, not here tonight, for those who... Uh, need God's grace and love uh, this week. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day, this beautiful week, this uh, wonderful time, and we know it's been troubled in our world, but your grace is ever-present, ever a reality. Lord, we ask that you be with all of those who still are suffering from bombings in Boston, from the explosions in Texas, for flooding around the Midwest and around our nation. We ask that you be with all of those who are experiencing trauma, who have suffered medical emergencies, who are at the end of their lives. We ask that you show them grace and compassion, mercy and love. We ask that you help us truly reach out to them, to the suffering, to the needy, to the lost, in every way that we can. Empower us to be your hands and feet. Lord, we thank you for the leaders of our world and our nation, the leaders of our community, the leaders of our church. We ask that you be with them and guide them to lead us closer to you, closer to your kingdom. We thank you for all of those who serve us, our men and women overseas, those at home, our emergency personnel, our firefighters, police officers, medical workers, those who are working construction this summer on the highway, those who are going to serve us at our favorite restaurant, those who serve us uh, by uh, managing our lawns and our gardens, those who 
take care of us at the grocery store, those who serve us in ways we just forget, we neglect. Help us show them servanthood and serve them in a real way this week. Lord, we ask that you be with all disciples, all those people who claim claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Help them truly draw circles around the promises you've given them and help them be disciples who make disciples. Help us be disciples who make disciples. Draw us closer to you, closer to your Son, Jesus Christ. Empower us with your Holy Spirit and help us bring others into this family we call the church. Be with your church. Be with your church, capital C, across this world. Help us in our differences speak in a common voice. Help us in our conflict show restitution and resolution. Help us in our love transform communities. We ask that you be with the congregation here at New Life. Continue to develop us as an authentic community. Continue to develop us as Christ followers. Continue to develop us as risk takers and circle makers. We pray this in your holy name. In the name of our Lord Jesus the Christ. Amen.